0: gentle disclaimer to all of our listeners, all medical information mentioned in this podcast is purely informational. It is not individualized medical advice. Please follow up with your physician or medical practitioner for individualized care specific to your needs. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Know and Do Better podcast. My name is Dr. Melanie Carminati, and I am very grateful today to have Dr. Laura Liu here with us to discuss endometriosis. So for those who don't know Dr. Liu, Dr. Liu is a board-certified minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon who specializes in the management of difficult gynecological surgeries, including Severe endometriosis, difficult hysterectomies, large fibroid removal, and other complex gynecological conditions. Dr. Liu completed a four year OBGYN residency training at North Shore LIJ Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan, New York, followed by a rigorous two year fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery at the Mayo Clinic, where further expertise was developed in robotic, laparoscopic, and vaginal surgery with special interest in laparoscopy and robotic endometriosis surgery. She also has research in gynecological surgery that has resulted in presentations at numerous professional meetings, as well as publications in peer-reviewed journals. So Dr. Liu, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Melanie. It's my pleasure.
0: Wonderful. So Dr. Liu is working now out of pelvic rehabilitation medicine in Manhattan, and Dr. Liu, I wanted to just start off the conversation with how do you explain to patients what endometriosis is?
1: Endometriosis is abnormal tissue um, that is found in the pelvic cavity and abdominal cavity. Typically, is is outside of the uterus. The way that endometriosis, the name endometriosis comes from its endometrial like tissue Uh that in the endometrium is the tissue that's inside the uterus. It's the lining of the inside of the uterus. And every month when you have your period, if you're not pregnant, you have your period, you shed the lining of your your uterus, which is called the endometrial tissue. So it looks like that type of tissue. It's not the same tissue, but it resembles the endometrial tissue. And that tissue is not inside the uterus. It's outside of the uterus. It can implant on the pelvic sidewalls. It can implant on the bowels, the bladder, diaphragm. It's in the lung, colon, appendix, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes. Again, it's abnormal tissue. It's not supposed to be there. And unfortunately, the only way that you can diagnose and treat it is going to be with a laparoscopy. A lot of the most common symptoms of endometriosis is, you know, very painful periods, sometimes heavy periods, like periods that are... It's not like you can take a Tylenol or an Advil and continue. It, they affect the quality of your life. You plan your life around periods When you call out sick from work because you're in so much pain. You can't even get to work. You cancel plans. It can really affect the quality of your life. Uh, a lot of times, painful sex, especially with deep contact. A lot of bowel dysfunction, bladder dysfunction, especially around the time of your period. Like you are having to go to the bathroom every five minutes. You can't hold your urine. You're like peeing all the time. Or you have a lot of constant constipation or diarrhea or bloating gas around the time of your period, those are very common symptoms of endometriosis. And if a woman has those symptoms, a lot of times, you know, those are red flags to me. And I'm thinking, oh, this could be endometriosis.
0: In regards to the cause of endometriosis, I know that there's some probable like theories but mm-hmm. is research showing anything
1: there's research out there that is that is looking you know more at like a cellular level rna sequencing looking more into like genetics and you you're absolutely right there's there's quite a few theories of how endometriosis um, you know the pathogenesis of it but no one really knows for sure and mm. that's i think you know the when we can Find out what's causing it or what causes it, then we can work towards preventing it. Because right now, all we can do is really treat it and um, manage it. But if we can get to the, you know, just like with cancer, if we can get to prevention, preventative um, stage, or, you know, then we'll be able to actually hopefully make it obsolete.
0: Right. And there's um, different stages of endometriosis, right? So When patients are coming to you, are they typically at a certain stage? I guess my follow-up question to that is what makes someone a good candidate for surgical care for endometriosis?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. What makes someone a good candidate for surgical treatment of endometriosis? And again, I want to go back to, you know, endometriosis, it's, it's about quality of life. Mm-hmm. And let's say someone has really bad periods, suspected endometriosis, and then their OBGYN, you know, the regular OBGYN puts them on birth control pills. They're, they're living the best life ever, you know, and they're happy and they're able to go to birthday parties and they're not missing work and they take an Advil for cramps. They're living the best life ever. At that point, I, I would be like, you know, it's it's, it's up to you whether you want to get surgery but mm-hmm. right now it seems like you're doing okay so maybe we don't need to do surgery for me it's it's more quality of life if someone's really having a hard time if they've been on you know three different types of birth control pills, they've tried the progesterone only pill they've tried the IUD they've tried the shot they've gone to physical therapy, they've gone to, you know, pain management, and, and they're still really suffering and having debilitating, debilitating periods. At the point I'm like, you know, may, I think surgical intervention would be is at least we could get a diagnosis and, and treatment too, if it is an endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the only people who I take to the OR are people who are really, really suffering and, and you know, bad, but again, it has to come back to quality of life and if if this is really affecting the quality of life then i think surgical exploration is reasonable at that point
0: right so it's not necessarily the stage of which then endometri- yeah. endometriosis is at it's the symptoms and how that's impacting the quality of life
1: absolutely i know there's some there's some surgeons you know really good surgeons out there who unless they see radiological Evidence of endometriosis, like on MRI, if they see like a big ovarian cyst or they mm-hmm. see MRI um, findings of endometriosis, then they'll take the patient to the pa- uh, to the OR. But if they don't see anything, if you know the MRI or ultrasound comes back completely negative, then they won't. I, I don't do that. I basically go off. Again, what this what the patient is telling me, what their symptoms are, how it's affecting their quality of life, all the while letting the patient know, look, you know, you may not, ha- I don't have a crystal ball, I can't, I'm not a magician, I'm not, I can't tell the future. I don't know whether you have an endometriosis, but it's a risk benefit kind of conversation, and and if if we feel like the benefits of of doing a surgery and finding out whether you have an endometriosis or not outweighs the risk, then I think it's it's really the patient's decision.
0: So in regards to the imaging. The pelvic and abdominal MRIs will really only show like large endometrial masses, right? They won't show some of the other tissue that could potentially be hidden in like the retrouterine pouch, right? That's kind of hard to find.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if a lot of times these lesions are, you know, maybe one millimeter, two millimeters in size, you know, it's the size of uh, of a pimple. So even Mm -hmm. the best MRI, even the best ultrasound machine in the whole world is not going to detect a pimple. It's important to know that even superficial, small disease can cause a lot of pain and can really affect I keep on saying quality of life, but I, you know, I do think that's one of the biggest factors in deciding whether someone should consider surgery or not. So there's been so many times where I've gotten MRIs, which are completely negative, And patients have had ultrasounds, MRIs, CT scans, yeah. everything shows normal pelvis, you know, no pathology found. Mm-hmm. And you go in with a surgery and there's tons of disease. It's just, it's, yeah. it's not these big bulky masses. Right. But it can still cause 10 out of 10 pain. Absolutely. Even
0: the dysfunctions that you mentioned too, urinary frequency, urinary Mm -hmm. incontinence, Mm -hmm. um, that can dramatically affect your quality of life.
1: Absolutely. For sure. Especially, you know, these young women like in their 20s, 30s, sometimes teens definitely affects life.
0: So what happens during the minimally invasive surgery? What happens? The endometrial tissue is removed.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so perform minimally invasively, it's called a laparoscopy. So the patient is totally asleep. I mean, they're like on an island in Tahiti, they're drinking margaritas, totally asleep, general anesthesia. I inflate their belly up with gas, and then I stick a small camera down into their belly where I look around. I look at their diaphragms, their liver lobes, gallbladder, stomach, appendix, and then I look in the pelvis, I look at their uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, bladder, rectum. Behind the uterus, you mentioned the retrouterine space, so that most dependent part of a woman's body. Lots of endometriosis loves to hide there. And I know you as a Public or physical therapist can probably really detect a lot of sometimes, you know, nodules or a lot of tenderness in the, in that area because that's where a lot of endometriosis likes to hide. That's also why it causes a lot of pain with sex and can cause, you know, bowel dysfunction as well. So I look, I explore all of that. Anything that looks remotely suspicious for endometriosis, I remove it. That's called excision. So that means that I take the tissue out. I take the disease out. I don't burn it. I don't do anything else other than remove the disease. Then I send that tissue. I send that to the, path, to the pathologist where he looks at it under microscope and he tells me what it is he gets a diagnosis you know that's how you diagnose endometriosis because when they look under the microscope at that tissue they usually see endometrial glands or stroma which is then diagnostic of endometriosis and that's how you get a diagnosis and that's also how you get treated because you remove that abnormal tissue which is causing a lot of pain and the surgery is pretty well tolerated. I mean, it's their little tiny incisions are eight millimeters, very, very Mm -hmm. tiny. And so most of my patients go home the same day. Most of them don't require anything stronger than Tylenol or Advil for for pain control afterwards. It's still a surgery, but it's done minimally invasively. So the recovery time is much quicker than if you had to make a large incision.
0: And following the surgical removal, is it common for the endometrial tissue to grow back in the same locations? That's a really good question.
1: I think... The answer is yes and no. Mm. <laughs> so endometriosis is a chronic condition and it's also a progressive disease. There has been studies that have shown that in the hands of a good experienced excision surgeon, which means that the surgeon will take out the disease, burn it. They don't laser it. They move the disease. It's like if you had a splinter in your finger, you need that splinter to come out in order to feel better. And so that's the same right. thing with endometriosis. So if you have someone who does that and someone who knows what they're looking for, that, they're not going to miss disease because a lot of times endometriosis can be missed. Your chances of recurrence are less than 20%. Can it grow back? Absolutely it can because it's a chronic disease. But if you have a really good surgeon or good surgery, thorough surgery, the first time around, that's going to increase your likelihood of long-term success and not needing another surgery down the road. Also, if you're very young, oftentimes I will recommend after surgery, if the patient can tolerate it, maybe a low-dose suppression, hormonal suppression, either in low-dose birth control pills or progesterone-only pill or the IUD, just to kind of keep things quiet in there. Some evidence that suggests that it can, using post-op hormonal suppression can prolong your time of long-term success because it does kind of just keep your hormones just kind of at a study level and things kind of quiet. So I think those two things combined can, you can have long-term success.
0: Wonderful. For specific like ranges, if a woman is perimenopausal or menopausal mm-hmm. or postmenopausal, does that change your recommendations for them for surgery?
1: No, not it usually doesn't. I know a lot of women are told, "Oh, you know, just get to menopause and your symptoms will magically go away," and that's 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 very very untrue. I just did a surgery a couple of weeks ago on a fifty-seven-year-old who had been postmenopausal for four or five years, and she had endometriosis everywhere, and wow. she was very symptomatic, wow. and her MRI was negative. She had it everywhere. So even though she had been in menopause for four or five years, you still definitely can be symptomatic from endometriosis even after menopause.
0: So the endometrial tissue remains... Even it out?
1: remains. It doesn't go anywhere because the only way that you can get it out, or the only way that you can treat it, is really by removing the disease. Again, it's like that splinter. You know, you have to take that splinter out in order to feel better. Can you live with the splinter? Absolutely. Can you ice it? Can you massage it? Can you take pain medication for it? Absolutely. And you can survive. But really, in order to feel better, you have to remove it. And that's the same thing with endo.
0: Got it. And I just want to correct myself, endometrial like tissue. So I know you refer to pelvic PT. I know for myself with patients have endometriosis when i utilize visceral manipulation with them Mm -hmm. especially for like the earlier stages of endometriosis that gives them a lot of release absolutely uh, because i just find there's a ton of abdominal pelvic tension that just needs to be gently and specifically worked through to release fascial restrictions that are causing a lot of the discomfort. So I know that that has been really helpful with my patients in pelvic floor PT when they come into my office. And I know pelvic rehab medicine where yourself and the group of physiatrists and other physicians who work in the practice work closely with pelvic PT.
1: It takes a village. I mean, I tell my patients, listen, surgery is a small part of this whole picture, but it's not not 100% like slam dunk. You're going to jump off the OR table and feel better. It really does require a multidisciplinary team for sure. Pelvic floor physical therapy I'm a huge fan of, especially postoperatively, and sometimes pre-operatively. I'll send them, you know, for some prehab. And again, with my physiatry colleagues, they play an instrumental role in helping, you know, just the chronic pain um, that, it, that my patients have been in. Because once the endometriosis is gone, is gone, doesn't mean that they're 100% pain-free. They're still
0: going to have, right. they still need some help. Right, right. Oh, and yeah. are there other modalities that you refer your patients for besides, uh, I guess, pre and post op, besides PT physiatry?
1: You know, honestly, those are those are the two that I really want to start off with. Heart, uh, you know, from the get go, usually like six to twelve, six to eight weeks after surgery, I, I really tell them to follow up with PT and or physiatry. With PT, it's not something that you have one PT session and you're magically cured. It's a long journey. Yes. So I say, you know, give it a fair shot. You can't expect to get better in two sessions. Give it a good three to six months. Let me know how you're feeling. There's other things that have shown to help augment postoperative recovery, such as acupuncture. Optimized nutrition is is good as well, and, and other lifestyle modifications. But like I said, I think for my patients, I really stress them to do the PT and physiatry earlier rather than later.
0: Great. Looking ahead towards like a future, where do you see or where do you envision the advancement of endometrial surgical care going in the next decade?
1: Like I said before, if we can figure out what's causing this, we can prevent it from even starting. There's not a good screening tool for endometriosis. i I know there's some studies out that I'm also participating in where where women can collect their menstrual, you know, their menstrual effluent. They send that to get analyzed. Our hope is eventually, you can send us just a sample of some of your period blood in they can run it and be like oh yeah this you know you have a like a 90 percent chance of, of having endo and then you can go in and have the surgery or 80 percent chance that you don't have endo it's probably something else or that's what i'm i'm hoping for at least for a better screening method because right now our screening method is um symptoms and which is fine but if there was more of like a blood test or some other kind of way to screen just like a pap smear you know you get your pap smears for cervical cancer. I think we would diagnose a lot more women earlier Mm -hmm. and get them to having a better life earlier rather than being in pain for 20, 30 years.
0: Absolutely. Any final recommendations or words of wisdom for any individuals who might be listening who have endometriosis and are considering surgery?
1: I guess my my biggest advice is women have to really advocate for themselves. There's been so many patients that I've seen who have been through like six, seven OBGYNs who don't believe their pain or they just try this birth control pill or that birth control pill. And then they're like referred to gastroenterology and then they're referred to urology and then they're referred to like they're just bounced around everyone plays hot potato and so my advice is you really have unfortunately and i'm sorry about this but um you have to advocate for yourself so if you really feel like something's not right go see melanie come see me come see my colleagues at pelvic rehabilitation medicine go to someone who you feel like is Actually, listening to you yeah. and will at least try to point you in the right direction. The average time that it takes to get diagnosed with endometriosis is 10 years. Wow. That's 10 years that women are going from doctor to doctor to doctor, basically just getting gaslit and telling them, oh, it's all in your head. Unfortunately, that's my advice is you really have to advocate for yourself.
0: Wonderful. Well, Dr. Liu, thank you so much. This was an amazing chat. I think it's going to be really informative for a lot of people. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, Stay tuned for another monthly informative chat on the Know and Do Better podcast.